I tell you the truth, anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep recognise his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger, they will run from him because they don't know his voice. Those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant, so he explained it to them. I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me, just as my father knows me and I know the father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep too that are not in this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice and there will be one flock with one shepherd. The father loves me because I sacrificed my life so I may take it back again. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily for I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also to take it up again for this is what my father has commanded. When he said these things, the people were again divided in their opinions about him. Some said he's demon-possessed and out of his mind. Why listen to a man like that? Others said, this doesn't sound like a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This is the word of the Lord. great to have the Bible read to us so well. It's Shan, is it? Shani. Great. Thank you so much for serving us like that. Um, you may have noticed that I don't sound very Irish. Uh, that's because I'm, I'm actually not. Uh, I grew up in, um, in St Ives. Uh, that's where I got to know Jody and Mandy really well. Um, I did think that after 14 years I might have a bit of an accent and maybe you can tell me afterwards whether you can hear one. I, I don't hear one, um, and I don't think it's just because I've been back in Australia for a couple of days, um, but that's great, because people say, what are, you, what are you doing here? In the rain and the cold, what are you doing here? And I get to tell them that I'm there to tell them about Jesus. I may not go straight into it like that all the time, but it's great to be able to do that. Hopefully you've still got the Bible open in front of you. Oh, by the way, I just love the way that Jody's doing that Q&A thing. Uh, that's a great thing to do in church, isn't it? Not just to have a one-way thing with the sermon, but have something back, coming back again. I love that. I'm nicking that. Uh, and I may not even put a copyright notice on it. Uh, you may have nicked it from somewhere else. <laughs> um, uh, uh, the, the other great thing about that is that I won't be here next week. <laughs> and Jodie will have to answer all the questions that have come up from this. Friends, John chapter 10 is where we're going. And we're going to walk through that. And I've got some slides that are going to come up. And we'll walk through those as well. 
But before we do that, we're going to pray. Let's pray. Great Father, we thank you for your goodness to us, particularly your goodness to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we ask that, ask that as we read your word together, that we would come to a greater knowledge of what he, has, what he came into the world to do for us. And that we would go out of here better equipped to serve you and better equipped to speak of you to others. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, I reckon if you were to ask most people uh, who've heard of Jesus, and actually it's worthwhile, even as I say that in the beginning, it's worthwhile remembering that an increasing number of people haven't heard of Jesus much or hardly heard of him. But if you, ask him, if you were to ask people to list five things that they knew about Jesus, I reckon... It would be interesting to know what all the things were on that list, but I reckon that the, among the first things on that list would be that Jesus did miracles and that Jesus told stories, and they might even know that they were called parables. He's pretty famous for those things. But it's worth stopping and asking, why would you remember Jesus for those things? Because in the whole history of the world, there have been any number of people who seem to have done amazing things and seem to have told extraordinary stories. I mean, there was this person around about the same time as Jesus called Apollonius of Tyana. Hand, hands up who've heard of Apollonius of Tyana. No? What about um, Honey the Circle Drawer? Anyone? There was actually a documentary on him just a couple of weeks ago um, in the UK. It was nuts. But um, uh, what about uh, Han um, Hananiah Ben Dosa? Anyone? Anyone heard of him? No? Well, th they, were, they were people who were going around and there were stories going around that they'd done amazing works, amazing things that people called miracles. There are other people who told parables. Now, we, a lot of people have heard of Aesop, who told these things called fables, but he's probably pretty much the only ancient person who most people would think of who told amazing little stories. So the question is, why is Jesus so famous for these two things? Well, one reason might be that the miracles Jesus did actually happened. Well, that would stick in your mind. If not, not just to claim that it happened, but that it actually happened, I think that would stick in your mind a bit more. Well, I think it's actually even more than that. In the chapters before what we're looking at today, there's an account of an extraordinary thing that Jesus did. There was a guy who was born blind. He didn't become blind because there was some accident. He, he was born blind and Jesus just said something and he was able to see. I mean, that is an extraordinary miracle. The thing is that they're not called miracles in John. John doesn't call them miracles. He actually calls them signs. And uh, if we get the overhead, can we go to the first sign that we've got there? There we go. There's a sign. Uh, I quite like that sign. You see someone's put some graffiti on that particular sign. It's a very... It's very much a UK sign. 
because not many sheep here need an umbrella. <laughs> Particularly recently, I understand. I understand that the need for rain here is very, very great indeed. I would love to be able to export some to you. Signs. That's what John calls the extraordinary miracles that Jesus does. He doesn't call them miracles at all. He calls them signs. See, what Jesus did for that blind man was pointing to who he, who he is. So that our real blindness, our blindness to what life is really about, our blindness to the reality of God, our blindness to our own deepest needs, so that blind people like that, blind people like me, blind people like you, might be able to see. And when that blind man was healed, it was a demonstration, it was a great sign of showing the significance of Jesus. And in some way, the parables of Jesus are not just touching stories with a moral attached, not like Aesop's fables, but when you hear them and when you really grasp what they're about, they convey the most important truths that have ever been heard about life that is as full as it's supposed to be. See, most people who've heard that Jesus did miracles and told parables really have no idea what the miracles mean or what the parables say. But Jesus remains famous for his miracles and his parables because down the centuries, around the world, even here in Jamboree, there have been people who have really listened and heard what the miracles and the parables are all about, what they really mean. And once they've heard that, once they've seen that, they've realised that life can never be the same again. So having heard about that extraordinary sign in chapter 9 about the blind man, we move into chapter 10 into a parable. A parable that is every bit as powerful as the miracle was. Now that's something that I, find, I think we find sometimes difficult to believe. But I suspect if we had a chance to go back and if we had the choice of seeing a blind man seeing or a walking on water or a stilling of the storm or a raising of a person from the dead, that's what we'd choose to see. But actually if we really heard the parable, it's actually every bit as powerful and every bit as powerful as uh, turning the world upside down as any of those great signs that Jesus did. Because they show who Jesus is and what he came to do. So this parable goes like this as he continues his conversations with the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, and they're nearby and they're listening in. Now John wants us to know that this conversation that we have is linked to the last verse of our, the passage the passage that we have in reference to the miracles. Read along with this in the Bible. And I might be reading from a slightly different version. But I want you to read along with me just to make sure it's not Cameron's words that are going on here, but I'm actually saying what the Bible says. So it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not empty the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by some other way, that man's a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him because they, follow, they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee, and they, but they will flee from him 
for they do not know the voice of a stranger. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they didn't understand what he was saying to them. So these Pharisees who were standing around, who thought they were so knowledgeable, they thought they knew what was right and what was wrong, they thought they knew who was doing God's work and who wasn't. But who in the previous chapter have been shown to be fools by what the blind man had to say? Now Jesus speaks to them in such a way as to expose them, to expose how blind they are. Because they just don't understand what he's telling them. Now, to be fair to them, that's not particularly obvious, really, what Jesus is telling them. If I just read this little story by itself, I think I'd be as confused as the Pharisees. It sounds like he's giving them a lesson on shepherding in ancient Palestine. Is that what it sounds like to you? Jesus tells them about a sheep pen. Now, I think we've got the next slide coming up. Something looking a little bit like that. Now, this is a bit greener than the ones in Palestine, but actually what he's talking about is probably... I mean, there were areas that looked like this. Uh, Jody was talking about being in Jerusalem, um, and actually we, we, we met some people and met a guy on the plane who was from northern Israel, and he insisted that we stay with him after the conference finished, and so we did, and he was an atheistic Jewish man, and we had great conversations. Um, but that part of... Israel was really lovely and green and actually that part of Israel which is where Jesus grew up fed most of the Roman Empire with all the grain and the, all the things that were grown there but Jesus is talking about sort of a, a, a walled enclosure uh, used to keep sheep safe at night now I don't have a great deal of experience of this I mean I grew up in St Ives I, I, I might have seen a sheep at the Royal Easter Show. Um, but I didn't know much about that kind of thing. Can we go on to the next? I mean, that's what I... But I had in my mind, that's what shepherding's like. Now, that's real different to the UK. Uh, when I first heard this story by Jesus, and I heard that he knew his sheep by name, I mean... You remember a couple of years ago, there was a, about 2010, there was a sheep station called Mount Margaret Station. Um, I tell this to the people in Northern Ireland just to get, a, get, get freak them out, really, uh, because Mount Margaret Station had a carrying capacity of 66,500 sheep um, and 6,000 head of cattle. It was 600,000 hectares. Belfast, which is where I'm currently living, Belfast would fit into that one property 21 times. I mean, it's half of the whole country of Northern Ireland owned by one person to run a sheep farm. I mean, the scale of things in Australia is radically different. I mean, I thought the miracle of this story was that the Shepherd would know his sheep by name. How would you come up with 600,000 names for your sheep? <laughs> but when I spend a bit of time in, in England with my wife Alex's relative, and Alex brings her greetings to you. She's sad that she can't be here with us, uh, but we thought coming to a country fundraising, it wouldn't look quite right 
spending twice the amount on airfares. Um, so, but she does send her greetings to you. But she's, her only remaining relatives are tenant farmers in England, and he still does some farming on a little orchard. He's 87, I think, now, but still does this farming. Now, next slide here, we've got a slide of Peter. There's Peter, and there's his sheep. Sheep, he has about 20 sheep. That's around about the size of a flock that they would have had in Palestine. And when I started to see the way he did shepherding, I started to understand what Jesus was saying a little bit better. Sometimes his neighbour has the neighbour's sheep in the same orchard as Peter's sheep. And so the sheep are all mixed up together. And so Peter goes and he opens the gate and he goes down and he goes onto the corner. And he goes there and he says, Sheep! And his sheep go to him. But his neighbour's sheep don't. Because his sheep know his voice. I'd never seen that before. But it was everyday life for Peter and all of his friends. And actually it was everyday life for all the people that Jesus is speaking to. It was pretty amazing for a city boy from Australia to see, but it's just everyday life. It wasn't amazing for Peter to see. It was just what he did every day. It wasn't amazing for even the Pharisees to see. They knew that that's how, that's how the shepherding was done. And it's not like Jesus was particularly an expert in this. I mean, he's a builder. So what's he saying to these people who already know all this stuff? And if you'll excuse me, who cares? I mean, who cares about shepherding practices in Palestine in the first century AD? So what if a sheep knows the voice of their shepherd and follows him and no one else? I mean, what does that matter? Well, John tells us in verse 6 that the hearers don't understand. I mean, they don't, they don't get it any more than I would have got it. He doesn't, of course, mean that they didn't understand what he was saying about sheep pens and shepherds and sheep, but he didn't understand what, they were, what he was really getting at behind all that. The thing is that the, if the Pharisees... So if the Pharisees were anything like the experts in religion that they claimed to be, if they were really able to see the things of God as they claimed, as they should have, they, they should have got what Jesus is on about. Because in the Old Testament that they knew so well, one of the most significant descriptions of God's people is as sheep. Jesus is not giving a lesson on sheep raising in Palestine. Jesus is saying something important about God's people. But what is he saying? Well, you will have noticed that as we heard it, that Jesus responds to their lack of understanding through the rest of the chapter. He takes up the elements of that familiar shepherding scene and he uses them as pictures, metaphors, for the extraordinary truth he wants to convey. Now, before I go any further, I should let you know that um, that sheep that Peter has his arm over is Emma. That's his favourite sheep. He knows his sheep by name. 
Now let's look at this and listen as Jesus opens up the great secrets of fullness of life by inviting us as hearers to reflect on this scene of the sheep pen and the sheep and the shepherd. And it's all about getting in and saying, staying safe. So verses 7 to 10. Look at verse 7. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door for the sheep or the gate for the sheep. Now, do you hear that? Do you hear that actually what he's saying there is quite staggering? Just imagine the Pharisees listening to that. The man they've been having so much trouble with, the man they can't get a handle on and they can't handle, they're listening to him and he says in effect, if you're listening properly, if you've got the ears to hear it, this is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying the way into the place of safety for God's people is me. That's what he's saying, isn't it? If the sheep are God's people, if the pen is the place designed to keep the sheep safe, and the gate is the way in, he's saying the way to the place of safety for God's people is me. Notice that he doesn't say he's one of the gates. He says he is... I mean, to say that I am a gate to safety when it comes to God's people, I mean, that'd be arrogant enough, wouldn't it? To claim that you were a means by people could find safety when it comes to things like God, that'd be pretty arrogant to say. But Jesus comes up and says, I am the gate, the only one, the only way to a place of safety when it comes to God's people and their relationship with God. So as we consider this sheep pen, this place of safety with its gate, we see that in that picture, we see something extraordinary about who Jesus is claiming to be. That there is one way into the sheep pen. There is one way for God's people to find safety. But the indication, once you start to think about needing a place of safety, the only reason you need a place of safety is, it, is, is that... There's danger. And that's what we start to see in verse 8. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. Now, again, this is uh, where I have some fun with my friends from Northern Ireland um, because I tell them about some of the dangers of living in Australia. Uh, and so I show them the next uh, slide, and I show them this beautiful... Uh, oh, that, that, sorry, I, I forgot that I had that slide. Uh, it's just a nice picture, isn't it? Oh, Peter, at the... Uh, and there's a gate. Excellent. I keep on forgetting this when I've got slides. I've got lovely pictures to go. Okay, safety. Um, that's a, a, a danger sign. And let's head on to the next one. Okay, there we go. I, they look at that and they say, oh, they've never seen a pool like this in their lives before. And they think, oh, wow, how brilliant and beautiful that is. And then I say, just have a look at that bloke in the far right corner. And just look at what's behind him. If he was facing us and waving at the camera and a big wave came up, he might not know it, but he's in danger, isn't he? Have you ever seen someone knocked off the rocks in the surf? What is it? Rock, rock fishing is, one of the, is, is the most dangerous sport in the world, is that right? See, everyone here knows that. 
<laughs> I ask people in Australia what the most dangerous sport in the world is and they come up with any number of things. I say, I say rock fishing and they what what's that? <laughs> but it is, isn't it? Because if you go out and you don't know the danger, you're in even more danger, aren't you? And then I, then I freak them really, out, uh, really freak them out. I show them a picture like this. Is anyone here freaked out by that picture? Yeah, yeah. My, uh, Alex, <laughs> we've got someone who's terrified. I'm so sorry. Um, we, we uh, Alex, uh, in, she, she lived in East Linfield, and before they had developed the antivenine for the funnel whip, they would come to her backyard and collect them all and milk them and come back a, a couple of weeks later and do the same thing again. There were so many in the backyard. They were in our backyard. Every, they're in everyone's backyard. We know that when you put, if you've had your shoes outside, when you put them on, you shake them out first, don't you? And if you know, if you know there's a hole in the rocks, the thing you don't do is put your finger in it. We know that because we know of the danger. And then this thing was in our back, in my back garden. It's probably in your back garden too. It's a brown snake. I, 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 I keep on. T I, I love giving this uh, talk to people in Northern Ireland because you can just see them quiver, even worse than you are. Um, and then I tell them this is the only snake in the world that'll chase you rather than run away. And it, go, it, it can even go faster than you can run. And then I tell them I work for the Australian Tourist Department. There's, there's a great song that I play to them, uh, by the, an old one called By the Scared Weird Little Guys. Uh, called uh, Come to Australia, you might accidentally get killed. <laughs> but there's danger around. If you know where the gate is, then you can also see also those, you could also see those who are a danger to the sheep. That's what Jesus is saying. You recognize them you recognize those who are a danger for the sheep because they start telling people that there's a different way apart from Jesus like the Scientologists, like the Mormons, like Je Jehovah's Witnesses. They might use his name, but they're talking about a very different way. There's no doubt that Jesus is really having a go at the Pharisees here, but not only about them, because we read through the New Testament and we consider Christian history, we look at Northern Ireland and Ireland, and look at all over the world, and we can see there's dangers all over the place. People are saying there's lots of different ways. When Jesus says, I am the gate, Friends, apart from Jesus, there is only desperate danger. As we come back to the text, we continue to have that sheep pen in our mind's eye. We've got the sheep pen in our mind's eye. And he says in verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And we'll go in and come out and find pasture. But the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Friends, there is no real safety, no real security for sheep outside the pen at night time. And friends, Jesus' parable shows us that only those who are as blind as the Pharisees could think that there is any safety for human lives apart from in Jesus Christ. But friends, I think we are much more like the Pharisees than we like to think. Look at our behaviour. Where do you look to find security and safety? Do you see 
how much effort we spend in securing things that at the end of the day provide very little security. Health. Have you noticed that people tend to look after their health a lot more after they've had a bit of a health scare? Have you noticed that? They change their diet, they alter any number of things, and then we tend to act as if our life's safety relies on healthy living. Not that health is bad, and I could stand with being a bit healthier, and as you can see from my profile. But the danger is that I start to think that that's where I'm going to find ultimate security and ultimate satisfaction. Finances are another common one, aren't they? We start to think that our security as human beings, our safety in our lives, depending on getting the finances right. And we worry and we're anxious and we're troubled when they're not quite in the right order. And that starts to become the most important thing in our life. And that starts to show where we find our real safety and our real security and where we look for fulfilment. And we're not that different to the Pharisees. Well, maybe it's in liking being thought of as slightly eccentric. Or do you find it in a relationship? Do you think that's where you're going to find ultimate fulfilment in life? Friends, this parable of Jesus makes us see that these things are not ways to security. I mean, not real security. Because what really matters is your entrance into the sheep pen. And if you're not in the pen... It doesn't matter how healthy you are. It doesn't matter how financially secure you are. It doesn't matter how well-liked or surrounded by friends you are or how admired you are or how puzzled over or beautiful or comfortable or how busy or how restful you are. You're in great danger. And if you're inside the sheep pen, it doesn't matter what the finances are like. No matter how bad your health is and despite everything else, you have life to the fullest and in the most important way there possibly can be. You have security and safety that no one, not even death, can take away from you. And so we start to look at the shepherd in verses 11 through to 21. Jesus moves our, way away, our view away from the gate and has us focus on the one who approaches the gate, the shepherd. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. One reason human beings are so often in the Bible pictures as sheep, uh, pictured as sheep is that sheep need a shepherd. Let's have a look back at Peter again. This is Alex's cousin who I referred to before and actually he prefers looking after cattle than sheep. Uh, he says that sheep go out of their way to find new ways of dying. Um, his favourite tup, is, do you use that word here? Ram? He calls them tups. His favourite ram got stuck under a piece of farm equipment once and he was only away for a couple of hours but by the time that Peter got back it was dead. Now there wasn't any injury. There was nothing particularly wrong. He just got stuck and gave up living. Friends, the sheep's need of a shepherd for a shepherd is even more fundamental than its need for a pen. 
Sheep are not independent creatures with the resources, resources to survive and thrive and overcome the dangers that surround them. And the Bible has a word for the person who thinks that they can make life on their own, like sheep striking out by themselves, wandering away from the shepherd and thinking it can survive in the treacherous Palestinian hills. The word the Bible uses for a person who thinks that they can live like that is fool. Because if there is one thing that makes us like the sheep in Palestine, it's, it's this. We really need a shepherd. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. You see that in verse 11? And the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Now, we don't frequently, I don't think, find ourselves in a situation where someone has to risk their lives for us. But you might have been there. I've been there once or twice. But the fact that we're not conscious of danger all the time often just shows us how blind we are. Like the guy on the corner of the pool facing the wrong direction. For friends, we really are in danger all the time. We're in danger because we are, you and I together, guilty rebels before a God who is holy and completely right in everything he does. In front, of God, in front of that God, can we really think there is even a moment in our life that we are not in as great a need of a good shepherd as the sheep are in the dangerous hills of Palestine with all of its wild animals and dangerous terrain? And in a way that we can't really go into now in detail, we're, just, we're not just in danger that needs someone to risk their lives for us. Did you notice that? No, the danger is so great for us, friends, that we need a shepherd who will lay down his life for us. Now Jesus has another go at the Pharisees, not just thieves and robbers in verse five, but or verse twelve, but hired hands who don't care for their sheep. And then Jesus describes this shepherd and his sheep. Look at verse fourteen with me. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as my father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me but I lay it down of my own accord. I have my own authority to lay it down and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. Well, friends, it's difficult for us to accept that we are in such danger without such a shepherd. We're doomed. It's hard for us to accept that. But Jesus' picture of the shepherd and the sheep is telling us that that's just what life is like. And that means that there's one big question from this, from this passage that is brought to us. And that is, am I one of the good shepherd's sheep? 
And the most important thing in this whole parable is that Jesus gives a simple test to see whether we are one of the good shepherd's sheep or not. It's in verse 3. The sheep listen to his voice. It's in verse 4. His sheep follow him because they know his voice. In verse 5, we learn that they will not follow anyone else because they do not recognise the stranger's voice. There is a division that takes place in the world, friends. In those verses that are at the beginning of the passage, we saw that the shepherd go into the pen and those who know his voice follow him. Like Alex's cousin Peter, only those sheep who know his voice come to him. It's not just that they are sheep. In those days, the Pharisees should have realised that he's talking about the Jewish nation then. In verse 16, we realise that there are other sheep who are not from the same fold, those people who are not even Jewish, people like probably you are. People like me, I'm not Jewish by background. I'm the one who Jesus is talking about as being the one who are not from the fold, but I have heard his voice and I follow him. And do you? It is not by birth, not by denomination, not by race. It is by listening to the voice of the good shepherd. And those who listen to his voice will, short, will join the good shepherd's one flock. Is it not a mystical voice we listen for? Just think about the people who were standing there listening to Jesus. It wasn't a mystical voice that was coming out into their heads. It was the voice of a bloke standing in front of them. A bloke standing in front of them who someone else heard. And that someone else wrote it down in a book. Do you hear his voice? Let's pray. Great Father, we thank you that you speak so clearly in your word. And even in the parables, which might be a bit difficult to start off with, actually if we read them, they're really very, very clear. And we thank you that Jesus came and told us that he is the one gate. He is the one way to safety when it comes to things between you and us. That he is the shepherd who by following his voice we will be okay for eternity. Father, we thank you that by his laying down his life for us, we can be safe. We can have eternal life because of the work of that good shepherd, Jesus. We ask that you would help us to hear his voice and to follow him. 